Hey folks, welcome to the Office Hours, and uh, this week Barry and I are being joined by a very special guest. I say that about all our guests because they all are very special, um, but Megan Cruz slash Jay Stoops on TikTok is in the office with us today to talk about a phenomenal movie that if you haven't seen, you should pause this recording right now and go watch it and then come back. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, Logan, the, um, the, the end of Wolverine effectively, but I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Megan, if you would, please introduce yourself for the folks at home and let them know who you are and what you're about. Hello, all of the folks at home. Um, I'm Megan, more commonly known as Jay Stoobes. Um, and I am a uh, massive nerd, mainly. That's the biggest uh, qualifier here. Um, but yeah, I, I, run a, I run a lot of different media pages on social media, all the usuals, uh, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and a podcast of my own, which is currently on hiatus by Geeks of the Week. It's very fun. Um, and yeah, one of, the th- one of the things that I'm known for is my love for the X-Men and particularly Logan. So I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. And so uh, when Barry and I were talking about episodes to do, um, we were talking about, you know, we're, we're trying to come up with uh, different artifacts or movies or whatnot that we want to talk about. And one of them was Logan. And Logan is special to me because I did a presentation on it that is one of those things that in the back of my mind, I think I'm gonna go back and actually write a paper on it. But for now, it's just conference presentation. But it's because it's such a good movie and has such interesting things in it. But I thought, who could I talk about this with? Because Barry's not gonna watch the movie. <laughs> case in point i asked him earlier today hey what if you watch the movie before we do the episode and he's like i'll try and he didn't oh Barry, um, you well, haven't seen logan i i i have seen it not all of it <laughs> what percentage did you see barry uh i would say i mean uh not that i know uh, this is a bad way to start <laughs> off my answer to your question uh Probably, I mean, I don't know. I, I saw up to the point where uh, Gabriella dies. And so the first 10 minutes, that's great. Okay, so. So you're caught up. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah that's totally, basically on board. Listen, totally on board. Totally on board. You stopped when the woman gets fridged. That's most of the movie. Uh, there you go. You don't really need to know much else. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. And cut to credits. Yeah. We're done. I'm just surprised you watched the Batman when we recorded um, when we record Don't. that other episode. <laughs> so anyway. Public uh, lashing. So I come at this from an academic critical media studies perspective. And I come from, I, I come at this from a completely ignorant perspective. <laughs> this is, yeah. Uh, and Megan, I will have plenty to say. I, I, I'm <laughs> not knowing something has never stopped you from contributing. Before, so I don't know why I, I, I have an I, opinion, I, whether it's informed or not. Yes, you do, Barry. Um, <laughs> anyway, but the reason I had, uh, the reason I asked you on Megan is because you have a, uh, I, I come from critical media studies, but you do film critique. Like yes. you do actual, like from the perspective of the, you know, artistic perspective and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know those, I don't know that vocabulary, that language. And one of the things I've followed, one of the reasons I followed you on TikTok is precisely because of how much I learned from your content. Um, so that being said, uh, I know that this movie is, you know, particularly important to you. Why is this like, why the fascination with this one? You know, um, it's it's a it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, and even though, like, I even though I, I did go to film school, I studied animation mostly. So, like, you know, I've I've got a rudimentary background in film studies. Um, but really, it's like where most of my knowledge comes from is just being genuinely um, enamored by film. Like my whole life, I just um, I think it's I think art is one of those. Uh, studies that you really can uh, you really can learn as much as you really want to about it and you can understand it as much as you are willing to put in um, 
And on top of that, the X-Men have always been like my my number one. That they're they're my my babies, the ones that got me into comics to start out with. I if you can believe it, the first Marvel comics that I got into were the Ultimate X-Men. Like, oh yeah, it's not it's not if I could power through that, you gotta yeah. know how much I love that. Them. Was that was when the X-Men were created in labs, right? Oh, the mutants was, came from uh, uh they were all like weapon X variations or something it like was, that. It was it was very weird. There was a lot of weird yeah. stuff, but I will say it introduced me to some characters that it would have taken me a while to get around to if I'd gone like through the usual routes. And then sure. you know, like astonishing was pretty good, although you know, we have mm-hmm. our feelings about Joss Whedon now. Um <laughs> but you know, I I, yeah. I got I got to the good stuff. I got to Claremont eventually. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I'm a big fan of Wolverine um, and I, I found it interesting because I, I really loved the, the Fox X-Men movies when they came out as a kid. Um, I only like I, I watched the X-Men cartoons first just getting a giving giving a full history of my, yeah. my life yeah. with the X-Men. But so like I you know I had I had a lot of different ideas about who these characters were um, and I know that a lot of people think that the Fox movies are like not that great and they definitely have a very hit or miss track record but I really do think that, um, again, it's like one of those things where like Brian Singer is the director and he's like not a good person. Um, But I do think that the X-Men movies um, really hold up. I think that they, X-Men and X2 specifically are really great. And I love Days of Future Past. And I feel like Logan, Logan really utilizes in so many ways, uh, this kind of layered filmmaking that we're seeing now become very common um, through like multi-film storytelling with like the MCU. Um, and they did it in such a way that was just so successful. I feel like a lot of like specifically Days of Future Past and Logan made just excellent use of stuff that was set up in previous films while also mm-hmm. being fantastic, just single film narratives, yes. um, which doesn't always isn't always the case in the MCU. I think the MCU can make an entertaining film like 99% of the time, but if you don't have an intimate knowledge with everything that's ever happened, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be great standalone watch experiences. Um, and Logan, Logan captured not only, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. The filmmaking, the cinematography, the the visual representation of like the themes are, are all gorgeous. The performances are incredible. I personally think that, the relationship between Charles and Logan is one of the strongest I've seen um, that's executed brilliantly through multi-film storytelling. Um, and it has just such a heart in addition to being just an excellent, incredible piece of, of filmmaking, like technical technical achievement mm-hmm. wise. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that it's, it has so much going for it, so many layers. Um, and on top of all that, they were able to capitalize just really smartly off of the existing nostalgia um, without relying on it, which can happen when you when you overuse it. So mm-hmm. it's it's it really it connects to me personally and like my interests and the characters that I find um, to be like you know the closest to, to things that I love. But it also is just it's it's just an incredible like actually pretty small story about you know yeah. coming to terms with things that are difficult um and, and being at a point in your life that's not easy and i think that that's something that like resonates with a lot of people mm-hmm. um so it, it yeah I, I love it when stories are able to take a very specific thing yeah. and make it universal so the there are a couple things there that i want to uh touch on a little bit and expand a little bit that you mentioned and one when you talk about like brian singer not being a, a good person i just learned about john landis getting three people killed on the set of uh of uh the twilight zone movie oh my god um, yeah 
apparently uh it, it he illegally hired two children to act on the thing on the thing on the uh, the film he uh got them two children and a stuntman killed in a helicopter crash oh my god uh, yeah for the twilight zone movie wow. for which he was a director for like a whole 20 to 30 minutes of the film and that part has a body count apparently yeah so <laughs> um so i just learned about that so i have given up any hope of like <laughs> looking into the personal lives of some of these people and coming out with you know it's so complicated feelings. i always tell people i think it's it's really dependent on a couple of factors the biggest ones are are is your is your enjoyment of this project still financially or um mm -hmm. in, in any other way supporting the, these people um and in the case of brian singer like he's he i, I believe he's he's currently awaiting trial to like actually go to mm -hmm. jail he's definitely never going to work again what I think, was he charged for uh really bad stuff um gotcha like yeah he he um <laughs> okay. had a lot he has a lot of allegations from people who were children um oh no and yeah the and he uh yeah he, he did mm. some some terrible things he's he's a very very bad person and i sincerely hope that he never works again that being mm -hmm. said i also always like to acknowledge that film is so incredibly collaborative um yeah. and it's one of those things where like it's it it doesn't excuse any of this stuff but it i think the conversation of you know art art existing in a vacuum and, and it, yeah. it's a bigger conversation but i think that it's you know it's See, not the only this, up until this point because i knew vaguely there was some stuff going on but i didn't pay much attention to it my biggest grief with the brian singer was really sort of solidifying that argument uh that um the x-men were meant to be a civil rights al uh, allegory which i have been fighting against most of my teaching <laughs> career at this point yeah that's um, gotta be so annoying <laughs> But that takes a second place to like doing terrible things <laughs> yes. to people <laughs> yes. that exist in time and space. Yes. Um, so, okay. Well then, the other things <laughs> that you brought up that I thought were interesting um, were the uh, idea that this is a standalone movie that does obviously have connections to the other uh, uh, properties that came before it and is very much thematic for people who've been reading the X-Men comics and know that the thing about the X-Men is they don't win. Like they never win. The ending of Days of Future Past in the comic book, the two issue uh, uh, series is bleak and ends with maybe they diverted the apocalypse. Maybe they didn't, Yeah, uh, but they won't know until the future. And similarly, because this one comes right after Days of Future Past, I think, right? Um, uh, it's yeah, kind of. I mean, it's, there's no like, there's no and direct the lead up, but yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of implied that this is like kind of picking up from that timeline in the in universe timeline. Yeah, yeah. as opposed um, to like the the you know younger versions of like James James McAvoy and uh, Michael Fassbender, yeah. I think. Right. Um, so then, like, it ends with that bleak, like, okay, yeah, they stopped the Sentinels eradicating mutants, but then something else happened, right? And another threat to mutant kind came along because that's what inevitably happens, which yeah. is a bit bleak. But it's also a great example of when you talk about this being a small story um, of that phrase that the personal is political. Because this is a great example of how the struggles of these people is not just obviously there's things that we can relate to if you talk about things like how to do, do elder care, taking care of um, people who have disabilities or if you have a disability yourself and having to rely on someone who may not be reliable or the aspects of like single parenthood or all that kind of stuff and um, the uh, legacies of generational trauma, all that kind of thing. But of course, attached to that are the larger sociopolitical and, and economic forces at play in the movie that put these characters in that position that they mm -hmm. are rejecting or they are resisting at the very least. Uh, as they go through the film and attempt to find, you know, a, a sort of happily ever after. Uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's all that sort of stuff going on. And for anyone not familiar, just as a, a brief crash course in it, at the premise of the movie, mutants are effectively gone. 
they have either they've either been hunted down died off or and they haven't had any new ones in a very long time uh, until we get to um until we get to logan's uh daughter laura x23 who was created in the lab from his genetic material without his knowledge or consent or any of that kind of stuff as a part of a uh, cooperative effort but it was a it's a corporation right it's not the um, i forget if the governments are involved it, it's it's a private corporation yeah alkali transit um right? yeah alkali, yeah i think it's yeah. um god i can't remember what the name is it starts with a t i think i'm gonna have to google it now because mm -hmm. but yeah um definitely and i that's one of the things that i love the most about it is its commentaries on capitalism mm -hmm. and how that affects yeah. um specifically like the most marginalized among us um mm -hmm. It's 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 it works on so many levels. The, the film is is absolutely incredible. It does, and so let's start as with any story at the beginning, and we have Logan sleeping in his car, right? Yeah. Uh, with the wheels about to get you know uh, taken off, or at least attempted to. I mean, he has them fastened on, so they won't you know whatever. He gives an explanation, but then he proceeds to viciously murder these men who have it coming. <laughs> let's be clear, they're bad guys. Um, the, and it's, who also tried to viciously murder they him. They did. They yeah. shot him point blank not, with a shotgun. Not knowing that he, yeah. that was not going to be effective. Yeah. The company, I forgot, by the way, is named mm -hmm. Transigen. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, I forgot, Barry. That is part of the 10 minutes that you saw. So. <laughs> hey, yeah. I, I, I've made my contribution. Um, it's like that student in class I'll, who I'll reads the first I'll page of the reading. I'll collect my check on my way out. Yeah. Um, so, and that's part of the violence is a part of the, the, the spectacle here. I mean, th these movies have been violent, but no one has, like, I don't, I'm having a hard time thinking of instances where Wolverine literally tore people apart in the other movies. Right. It's definitely, I mean, I think that this was, was this before Deadpool? Was this the first R rated? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I yeah. think this was like the first that they really went for it. And I mean, I know that a lot of Wolverine fans were really hoping for this because in the comics, um, yeah, he's definitely, we've definitely seen some very visceral displays of violence. Um, and I think that that's something that's, uh, you know, a tribute to Logan's character as well, is that he has this duality to him, this um, tenderness mm -hmm. and this uh, just almost, you know, barbaric sense of... Um, violent mm. urge you know and i mean it's 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 born out of trauma um mm. and it's uh, this uh, this movie i think balances it really well how how really emotional his story is but how he's been kind of forced into this position of mm. you know fight or flight his entire life um yeah. because i it, it can come off as spectacle it can come off as just gratuitous violence but there's so much there's such a, a deeper thread to to why logan has has felt like he he has no choice and again like even in the original x-men movie when we're first introduced to hugh jackman's logan it's mm -hmm. in um i think it's it's in a, it's in a fight and in, in the yeah, in, a in the bar he's fight. yeah he's in a mm -hmm. cage fight because that's one of the right. only ways that he can survive is mm -hmm. fighting for other people's entertainment yeah. Um, which, you know, again, the callbacks in this movie, it just, it, it's, it's beautiful because it, it works for a first time viewing, but, uh, it's so much richer if you have that context. It gives for me, there was obviously the spectacle of it, but also a sense of desperation mm -hmm. for him because up until this point, the people he's been fighting, he's been able to, you know, neutralize or take down or something along those lines in a less, uh, visceral way. Um, but that, yeah, he is, he is, uh, his claws don't extend all the way the first time. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you see that the wear and tear on his body. And so then when he does attack, he's literally cutting off arms and limbs and all that kind of stuff. And it is to me, like I said, like a sense of desperation and despair, but how do we, 
set him or how do we compare him to other his contemporaries people like frank castle or people like wade wilson for that matter or even a bruce wayne who doesn't kill but is still pretty vicious like how do we reckon how do we identify this particular iteration of uh, masculine protagonist compared to a lot of his contemporaries i mean i think that wolverine is a is a really excellent case study as particularly in the films because um the, the comics have such a such a wide and varied history that I think it would be hard to just categorize um, across the span of his appearances. Um, but particularly in the films, I think that they really have balanced um, masculinity in a way that feels earnest and kind of new. Even like, I mean, I'm going to keep calling back to the 2000s movies. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But like yeah. even especially, you know, X-Men was the first like huge blockbuster um, Marvel film and people always tell me Blade and Blade was amazing but Blade was like a completely different genre it was definitely supernatural kind of as opposed I think, I think Blade was fertilizer for the ground yes for sure for sure yeah like it it was it was the sort of proof of concept and then they did the real deal with the x-men movies yes yeah and yeah. i mean it was it was incredible and they like the, the stuff that they achieved and the, the what they paved the way for was was outstanding but yeah mm -hmm. I, I think that i always credit x-men as like being the grandfather of the mcu specifically um mm -hmm. just because it was it really showed that you could translate this particular uh, genre to film um but even back then you know it was very much about someone like a, a man searching for identity and a man who mm -hmm. has the ability to overpower almost anyone but that's not fulfilling it's it's a man in search of of himself a deeper meaning a purpose um even though he has a complete ability to mm -hmm. to you know to, to overpower anyone he wants and i think that the choice to cast hugh jackman is pretty much universally accepted mm -hmm. and beloved now but when it happened at the time because wolverine is uh, in the comics a very stout short guy mm -hmm. um and obviously hugh jackman is like the ideal uh, adonis of a man even i was actually talking to some because we were recording earlier today as well we were talking about how like even as an old man with scars on his oh face my God. he's unreasonably handsome it's ridiculous <laughs> it's like yeah. you know he takes off a shirt and it's like how how yeah um no. <laughs> but like you know i think that it's it's even it it puts this particular quandary into an even different light because you know he's a very traditionally handsome man he's very physically strong um he's immortal essentially he has mm. essentially everything that men in the in the traditional like masculine form are told that they should be and they should want to be yeah but it's, it's also, also yeah. on an emotional level he's very stoic he's exactly. very reserved he mm -hmm. doesn't express his emotions yes. clearly right yeah. and and all of that and and at least uh by the end of the first film he has to overcome at least some amount of that in order exactly. to succeed in any way, yeah. right? I, I mean, I think that they really set up a beautiful story of, you know, a, a man who's told you are you are what society wants you to be and it's not enough because mm -hmm. the ideals of masculinity in our society are fundamentally not complete. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a hollow version of a, I mean, and the same, same as the opposite for, for women. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, this idea that without that deep emotional connection, without that understanding of that self of a sense of self, without that, that emotional purpose, um, mm -hmm. the ideals of what men are told they should achieve is is empty. And I think that the first film sets it up beautifully. And Logan is just outstandingly gorgeous because it really tackles that, especially later in life when you've, you know, you've you've gotten you've you've used up your youth. Um, mm -hmm. And he still technically has everything that he had back then, but it's just, 
it's so much harder because he's reached yeah. the end and it's like was that all there was and what what have i really achieved and and in the context of the film it's mm -hmm. even more painful because with the loss of their their kind mutant kind and mm -hmm. he feels a guilt and, and a connection to charles but there's resentment as well mm -hmm. so it's just it's such a it's such a layered idea of you know finding purpose and finding yourself especially towards the end mm -hmm. of your life you know when when society would throw you away in that vein there's a couple of things that come to mind the first is that they really emphasize uh the hollowness by leaning into his uh substance use yes right he is perpetually drinking the whole time and it occurred to me that and i don't know if this is an in-universe exp uh, um, explanation but i know that in the comics people like him have a really hard time getting drunk or high like it's because their body metabolism so quickly the healing factors things like that the the speedsters in DC for example are you know notorious for not being able to get drunk that kind of thing yeah it's the same thing with him um, and so he that is simultaneously really sad that he's resorting to alcohol to deal with his problems but also even sadder because it's he has to try really hard yeah like and so it's perpetually chasing a state of being that is like on the edge of of, of being attainable, yeah. um, which is why we see him drinking while he's driving to he, that funeral. He he doesn't even have the ability to throw it all away. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Like he's stuck in this uh, mode that he's in, and and, and th without a hope of finding a resolve. Yeah, yeah at least in that state. Yeah, it's like Sisyphus. Only instead of a boulder, it's a shot glass. Yeah. Um, the other thing about this is that. It reminds me of, so I've been uh, working for, uh, at this point, two years, God help me, on a article that I'm hoping to get published with some friends of mine about the Punisher um, and about how the Punisher, Frank Castle embodies the abject masculine. Abject masculinity being simultaneously lauded as the apex, the top of the heap, but also inherently disposable. And so long as it exists in that way, uh, where the value is on the outcome, but not in the dignity of the person, then they are caught in this cycle of... Um, um, of of having to recreate it because it's the closest they'll get to the top, but it requires intense sacrifice and and suffering. The case that the article or the chapter the the scholar that we're citing from uses um, in discussing abject masculinity talks about Fight Club in this way. Yeah, with Tyler Durden being that abject masculinity. And with abject masculine status, um, with that simultaneous disposability, but also uh, intense amount of power because they have the authority to kill whoever they want effectively, also comes a certain amount of transgression and queerness. Now, with Tyler, it's the, you know, outlandish outfits and the fact that he burns, you know, himself with lice soap and creates what appears to be like a vagina scar on his hand, right? But with Logan, that abjectness, that what we might call transcend or uh, transgressing boundaries is that like you see that on his skin right yeah. like he his his otherness becomes even more real through all the scarring all of the pain all that sort of stuff um so i think you know so yeah to dovetail off of what you said there's a, a lot happening there that is is heroic and tragic and sad and you know he's a he's badass but he'd be a bad father and husband yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and you asked, you know, what what I thought the difference was between someone like mm -hmm. Logan and someone like um, Frank Castle, the Punisher. And I think that you know, fundamentally the difference is Logan is always searching for purpose because what mm -hmm. he's given the violence, you know, the gifts, you know, or curse, mm -hmm. however you look at it, is not enough. The Frank, his he embodies this sense of righteous purpose. And it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. it's misaligned. It's, you know, and, and this uh, this is why I think so many people idolize him without realizing the irony, but he, you know, 
it's that it's that type of masculinity that says mm -hmm. there is no self without your accomplishment. There is no self yeah. without this hyper masculine presence. And Frank, you know, loses everything and becomes that. He is he is his 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 purpose. He is his purpose to to find justice. And and mm -hmm. Logan just he he can't find satisfaction in that. I think that they're you know they're they're written so differently, and it really mm -hmm. it really you know when you really think about it, it really shows why some people mm -hmm. relate to Frank Castle and some people relate yeah. to Logan. I like to say that it's okay to like Frank Castle if you know that Frank Castle does not like Frank Castle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> like that's the only condition in which there's not a red flag associated with that. It's a little, it's 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 umber. It's a burnt orange, but it's not red necessarily. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not okay, like Rorschach, so, you know. Like right. there's a little bit. I remember being a young man and watching the, the Watchmen movie and thinking Rorschach is so cool, and then being older thinking that is not okay. There is nothing okay about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I felt the same way about Gambit. Quite honestly, as a young man, he was like the Southerner I wanted to be because he was cool and could talk to girls. And now, as an old man, older man, I'm like he was working through some stuff. Gambit yeah. had a lot he was go, going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about Logan. Let's talk about the actual like plot itself because yes. the the premise of the plot is in. It, I would suggest all movies are political on some level and if for no other reason than the messages they reinforce, but this one like hits the gas on it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I have people tell me all the time that the stuff I talk about is not inherently political, but it's extra mm -hmm. funny to me when it's about Logan mm -hmm. because Logan mm -hmm. just has so much to say. Like, mm -hmm. It really does. <laughs> Uh, well, and, you know, and you've heard, I've seen you, you know, deal with these comments before, like on TikTok and stuff about, you know, people saying, well, you know, the, these are comics are not political, you know, that kind of stuff and whatnot. For those that don't know, in I think 1976, there was a Captain America story where Nixon shot himself in the Oval Office. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. It's yeah, completely divorced from politics. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you think about the allegorical reasons why so many of these characters were created, even just uh, like on a very vague level, mm -hmm. because I do think that the, you know, drawing direct parallels is not super productive. Um, mm -hmm. And they work yeah. most, most superheroes work better as an, as an allegory, um, a vague allegory. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's always particularly ironic. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the premise is Logan finds out that he has this daughter because this uh, Mexican nurse uh, who has revealed to Logan through a series of videos that <clears throat> essentially Alkali Transmission had gone to Mexico to cultivate mutants, right? They had been behind, we find out later in the movie, they'd been behind the slowdown and eventual stop of mutant birth uh, through like tampering with food and water and drink and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it not only like reduced their powers, I believe, but also um, effectively stop them from being born so we have a eugenics and sterilization aspect of it there um and then in mexico not political yeah no, not, not at all not at all <laughs> yeah yeah not at all um just apolitical eugenics. Yeah. <laughs> on, an, on an entirely separate note from 1907 to 1977 the uh states of the uh united states were uh sterilizing roughly 100,000 to 160,000 people a year but that's that's an unrelated oh yeah not aspect yeah totally yeah. coincidental yeah. no no uh, 25 to 50 percent of native american women sterilized before the age of 21 uh, in the 1970s, not at all related. Oh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> um, just depressing shit that bounces around in your brain. Um, so, Gabriella, the nurse, rescues as many children as they can, uh, as she can, her and the other nurses do. 
one of which being Laura. She finds Logan, tries to get him, tries to get Logan to take her north. He is the reluctant hero. He does eventually uh, end up doing it for ostensibly selfish reasons at the start because she's going to pay him a bunch of money that he desperately needs uh, so that he can take care of Charles. And then they embark north. And um, there's a little bit of history that I want to tie in here. And that is for anyone who's not familiar, in the, from 1942 to 1964, we had what was referred to as the Bracero Program. The Bracero Program, um, and Bracero is like a laborer, uh, was a program between the United States and Mexico where they brought in Mexicans um, at one point at all throughout, like 24 different states had Mexican laborers working in fields. Um, there's a book, I forget who wrote it, but the line is something to the effect of, uh, the Americans didn't know what they were going to do about cotton uh, once the black folk left, and then they discovered Mexicans. And that's pretty much like how it goes. World War II happens, the American labor force goes overseas to fight the Nazis, and then um, the Mexicans are brought in to keep America fed. And yeah. that program continues for the next 22 years, or thereabouts, 24 years. And it is shut down because of human rights violations, because it is such a terrible working condition that these folks are provided with. You have people being shoved into houses where there are far too many people. The uh, conditions are not sanitary. People are like dying in fields from uh, all the being forced to work uh, to exhaustion, all that kind of stuff happening. In addition to the ordinary relationship between the United States and Mexico that has been often exploitive, um, there was a dictator and general uh, uh, asshole named uh, Porfirio Diaz of Mexico who was eventually overthrown thankfully but he has this great quote that says poor Mexico so close to the United States and so far from God uh, and it's not wrong in many regards there's often been that exploitive nature not to mention the whole conquest of the American Southwest and what have you so all that stuff factors into this when we talk about like this child being f raised as a laborer, yeah. right? And the I the ideal that they're going for, the alcohol transition is going for, is as they put it, the creation of a worker without a soul, right? Because that's who the big bad ends up being yeah. in this series. Mm -hmm. It's a version mm -hmm. of Logan, right? That has no conscience, a barely an intellect, any of that kind of stuff. Which is and also, so, mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt, but just, oh, no, it's very much the, it's one of the biggest criticisms I see about this film is people think it's cheesy because of the CGI, but I think thematically Logan having to face this hyper-masculine, brutal version of himself, soulless, stoic, perfect mm -hmm. man is absolutely on theme and works beautifully for the mm -hmm. film. And it, it is, in many ways, a reflection of who he was in the Weapon X program. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, so for anyone not familiar, uh, pre the movies, um, pre the start of the first movie in 2000, Logan was he's recovering from uh, escaping a uh, experiment where, you know, where he gets the adamantium on his claws, all that kind of stuff. But he loses his memory. But he was a mercenary. Mm -hmm. Right. He was a weapon a bit like Hawkeye. He was pointed in a direction. And that's where he went. And that's how this other character operates. So we see him confronting that. Right. We we do get this idea of. um he confronts the sins of his past, even without really understanding necessarily or uh, perceiving it in that way. So what do you make of, because along the way we have that relationship between um, Logan and Laura, as well as Logan and Charles and Charles and Laura for that matter. What do you, what do you make of that little impromptu family there? I mean, I think it's very, uh, it, it's a theme that we see over and over again with the X-Men, but I think that it's been so illustrated, it's been illustrated so beautifully with um, with Charles and Logan. It's, you know, people who, and this is why I don't think that the X-Men um, 
you know, particularly work well as an allegory for for any particular group, because like you look at someone like Charles and someone like Logan and how different they are. And then you look at someone like Laura and the amount of like the increased amount of hardship that someone like Laura has had to go through um, and the level yeah. of privilege that someone like Charles Xavier uh, has even even through his his consistent oppression. Um, but it's, you know, I think that this this found family theme is is done so beautifully and it's really it it, it it does speak to the immigrant experience you know it does speak to this this marginalized group experience because again if you look if you look specifically at immigrants like my husband is an immigrant um and you have to leave your entire home your entire family to go to this place that ends up exploiting you a lot of the time um you have to find people around you but it also like the x-men in general um this is why the allegory works for uh queer people um and mm -hmm. people of color in general you know that have to find each other um in situations because you need that support system because the world mm -hmm. is, is built against you um and and that's an existing uh, i feel anyways an existing uh story theme that again hails back to the very beginning 2000 film right where um he and rogue kind of find each other yes. and uh, have to negotiate that relationship throughout the film but eventually find each other as kin of some sort yeah. right and i think that that's what's really beautiful about this relationship and the logan and rogue relationship is that a lot of these relationships are very explicitly not romantic and it's maybe not mm -hmm. um it's not like expressly outlined that it's familial, but it's it's in the role of like mutual caretaker. And that's what's so lovely about Charles and Logan. And I think it's a great commentary on um, age and the human experience as it changes. Because when we first meet Logan in uh, the original X-Men, 2000 X-Men film, you know, he's lost and angry and confused mm -hmm. and doesn't know anything about his life and wants to yeah. know and mm -hmm. charles helps him charles helps him find himself and i'm gonna get teary just thinking about this but this is why logan works so well as a multi-film story because in charles old age and with his powers and with uh, the deterioration of his mind he no longer knows who he is and he needs yeah. logan you know to yeah to, to, to know himself and yeah. Yeah. as a baseline. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's such a beautiful parallel. It's such a, it's such a really lovely story arc that again, you know, we're talking about these super human people and mm -hmm. it's, it's really at its core. It's, it's something that we all have to go through, you know, the, yeah. the child to parent role. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, I, I, I love their relationship. And then when you add in Laura and the fact that Logan is, was not, he, he didn't choose to become a parent. It kind of found mm -hmm. him and he had to take on this role. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's very relatable and it's, it's yeah. endlessly beautiful. <laughs> hey folks, we're gonna have to cut our conversation with Jay Stoop short. So we'll end it right here and pick up at this point next week with our next episode. So if you want to hear the exciting conclusion of our discussion about the movie Logan, then come back by the office. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs>